and welcome to Talkie Talk, the podcast for the media by us. My name is Brent. I'm here today with TJ. Yo! And it's just us. Just the two of us. So, it's, uh, as usual, when Brent and TJ get together and there's no one around to control us, it's, uh, it's <laughs> ranking time! It's the Ranky Rank Podcast. Yeah, this is for all week, too, so there'll be more ranking in a couple of days. We rank movies. Uh, alright, so we thought that it would be fun, um, considering that there's a, uh, notable new movie release, uh, at your local Cinemaplex. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the ninth or tenth movie Depending. From... He calls it his ninth. Yeah, and I understand why. Um, because right. <clears throat> Quentin Tarantino counts both Kill Bill movies as a single movie. Uh, but really it's the tenth theatrical release from Quentin Tarantino, so we thought it would be fun to rank the Quentin Tarantino movies. So... Uh, we very easily, I realized on the way here, we very easily could have gotten input from our like podcast mates or listeners or Fuck literally <laughs> anyone, but instead we just rolled with the two of us. So, um, all right. So I have uh, compiled. You don't know what the actual how it actually shook out yet. I don't. I'm excited. I think. Um, well, what do we do? You'll you gonna start at the bottom or start at the top? I'm gonna start at the bottom, and we'll just. Spend a little time just talking about what you like about each movie. Yeah, and I was so curious as to know where... I mean, I'll say where mine was on my personal list, but I'm curious to know where yours was, too. Okay. Although I think it'll be not super exciting for the bookends of this countdown. And in the event of a tie, I went to uh, the scores from Letterboxd to break ties. Which, again, I could have asked literally anyone <laughs> listening to this right now. Um, and opted not to, because I did not think of it. So... Starting at the bottom, so we have uh, nine movies ranked. Um, in the order they came out, they are, just a refresher, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, uh, Jackie Brown, Kill Bill 1, Kill Bill 2. Is Death Proof next? Death Proof is next. Death Proof, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, Hateful Eight. Yeah, dead. Death Proof was like 07, 08, somewhere in there. I was still living, still in college. Yeah. And while I have I have seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we won't be ranking it because DJ hasn't had a chance yet. Right. So I'm going to see it before the next watch list so we I'm, can both talk about I it. I might mention, I might just throw it in whenever we get to where I've placed it. Okay, just let us know just to, where you yeah, would have it. Right. All right, All right we're going to start off at the bottom though. Number nine on the list is Death Proof. Yes, I had Death Proof at number eight on my list, so I'm guessing you had it at nine. Yes. Yeah. It's a... It's fun. I get, yeah, before before we start, we'll say this. I think my worst Tarantino movie is probably a four-star rating. Um, and I think there's two of them. Um, Death Proof is one of the four-star movies, but it's hard to uh, talk shit about any of his films. Mm-hmm. But I do want to try on some of these to point out some things that we didn't like, because I feel like these movies just get like... Continuous love sometimes. So, for, uh, so I ranked Death Proof last, and the reason um, it's not so much I don't really have any problem with that movie, other than I just don't. It didn't really connect with me, and it didn't really stay with me as much. Yeah, I don't think it's supposed to. It's either. A, it's a really good exercise in what it is, which is just a, a, an homage to those types of movies. Yeah. Um, if you haven't seen Death Proof, it was released in the Grindhouse uh, double feature with the Robert Rodriguez Planet Terror movie, which is 
crazier than Death Proof, for sure. But uh, Death Proof is fun. It's got uh, Uma Thurman's stunt double, like, permanently, and somebody Quentin Tarantino loves. Zoe Bell? Yeah, Zoe Bell is in her first, like, role role. She's one of my favorite parts of that movie. Yeah, she's really good. And she does a lot of the stunts herself, obviously. Yeah. (laughs) And the stunts are pretty pretty fucking cool. It's probably the most impressive stunt work for a Tarantino movie. I think. Yeah. Because that's what... I mean, he he made the movie... They don't have to make her look like Uma. Right. Like, he made the movie partially so she could have a starring moment, you know? And so... Yeah. The stunt work was great. So, you get... Rose McGowan is in it. Kind of... uh, Playing the same character she plays in Planet Terror, I think she's the only crossover, I believe. But the main women in it are Zoe Bell, Rosaria Dawson, Vanessa Ferlito, and uh, the one they leave behind is Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Um, it's essentially this uh, serial killer, played by Kurt Russell, who either gets women in his car and wrecks. He's in a cage. He's a stunt driver. Um, what's his name? He's got a stuntman Mike. That's right. Yeah. Stuntman Mike. Yeah. Um, and uh, kills him in his car. Rex, he survives, kills them, launches them through a windshield. And he starts to pick on these girls, the three girls that I named that weren't Mary Elizabeth Winston. Mm-hmm. And uh, they get the best of him in a hilarious ending that ends with him running through a field crying with a broken arm, yelling at them to please stop. <laughs> um, the movie's also like an hour and ten minutes long. Yeah. It's it's a short one. It's uh, I've only seen it once. It's I think it's the only Tarantino movie I've only seen once. It was one of the only opening like Thursday night midnight back when that used to happen. Opening features me and Cass ever went and saw. Yeah. Um, you saw the the Grindhouse. Yeah. It Weirdly, I've I've never seen Planet Terror. Planet Terror is fucking insane. It's a worse movie, but it's just fucking crazy. It's weird. Um. But we're not going to talk about Robert Rodriguez. We'll do that when Robert Rodriguez comes out with another movie. <laughs> I thought you were going to say when he dies. Um, Maybe that too. But yeah, Death Proof feels fine there at 9. Uh, like I said, I had it at 8, but I'm happy with it there. Mm-hmm. Well, number 8 on our list. Appropriately. Appropriately, <laughs> number 8 is The Hateful Eight. Yeah. Take that back. I've only seen this once, now that I think about it. Uh, I've only seen it all the way through once, for yeah. sure. I've seen it bits and pieces. Because it's a... It's a bear to watch, man. Yeah, it's a movie that I remember a few. I remember liking a few things in it, but I remember it just. And I remember the cinematography was gorgeous. I thought in the movie, but there's just uh, again, I don't really know what it was about as much. Yeah, I mean, it's it's other than other than the the, the plot, but. And we were talking about un-Tarantino Tarantino movies, and I wonder if, in our head, we've just made Pulp Fiction be that. Yeah. Because this is different, too. There's not a lot of scene jumping. I mean, the whole thing takes place in Mamie's haberdashery or whatever. There's one... Outside of the first scene, which lasts forever in the snow. All right. Um, on, the, on the carriage? Yeah. Yeah. You do have the flashback later. True. To, to tell you what all happened. Because you know something weird happened. But a lot of the flashback takes, back, takes place in the haberdashery. Yeah. It's them, like, how they got underneath the floors waiting, the Channing Tatum crew. Um, yeah. It's a weird movie. It's like uh, he's collected all these actors to be the Hateful Eight, and then he just, like, a few of them, they just get, like, their one moment 
Um, and some of them crush it, and some of them don't. Like, every, Jim Jason Lee was great in it, and Sam Jackson was good. Kurt Russell was fine, but like there was like Michael Madsen, and it was like. Yeah, Madsen was a little disappointing. Yeah. Uh, Tim Roth didn't really have a whole lot no. to do. Bruce uh, Dern was really good in his moment. Dern was good. Wal- Walter Goggins. Walter Goggins, Goggins was, was a coming out party for yeah, him, kind of. Really like yeah. But I'm fine with Hitful Eight there, too. I think it's just, uh, it was a, it felt a little long. Uh, again, if we're being nitpicky. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't as, like, that Tarantino, you think of, like, what's going to happen, what's going to happen, what's going to happen. And it didn't have any of that. You had this. You had Hateful Eight ninth, and I had an eighth. And honestly, I feel like I could flip easily. Yeah, it, it's, I don't really care between these two which one is lower. And, and, and moving on after this, it gets tough because now we're talking four and a half five star movies that I had to force myself to put in some kind of order. Everything else after this is is great. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, and these are the two movies that are just sort of very good for me, but they are still very like even the Hateful Eight. It was a, uh, you know. Kind of disappointing for a Tarantino movie because we'd waited a few years, but still, it was a very good movie. Oh, it was great. It was very well could have been in my top ten that year. Yeah. Uh, all right, next up, I gotta see what is next. Um. Okay, number seven on our list is a bit of a surprise. I, I, I even though I we ranked it kind of in the same area, it's a it's a little bit of a surprise because we just I know we both adore this movie, and that's Django Unchained. It's right where I had it at number seven. So did you have it at six? I think I had it at six. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's hard. It's it's hard. We both rewatched Jackie Brown, which obviously we both had higher than Django uh, last night before we're recording this, um, and I ended up putting it just a hair above Django. I, I don't really know. The thing about Django that I did when I put it low was I couldn't tell you a lot about the plot that deserved two hours worth of movie. No. And it, it's kind of just... Because there's like an hour of them looking for the brothers. Yeah. And that doesn't really... That's not the plot. You know what I mean? Right. The whole... That movie exists as a... I think the plot of that movie exists merely as a... Like a way to logically get him to Candyland and get him to have that right. status at the end. And it wasn't as quickly moving as I felt like it yeah. could have been. Um, having said that, uh, fantastic performances by Christoph Waltz. Jamie Foxx is very good. Uh, DiCaprio Sam, might be one of his best roles. Sam Jackson, too. Sam Jackson is probably Sam Jackson's best Tarantino role. I don't know. We'll talk about that later. Next episode. But um, there's a bunch of fantastic performances. And the scenery is great. The soundtrack's great. Um a huge turn here. I think now we don't realize it as much, but this is, you know, Christoph Waltz's second Oscar. His first was for Glorious Bastards. And it was a complete, like, turn from heel for him. Um, where oh, he yeah. plays, like, the worst fucking human on the planet and plays, like, a really awesome guy just trying to help, you know. Yeah. Um, well, he kind of changes in the film. He doesn't start off trying to help. but Right. He's, so, uh, he's the dentist, right? Yeah. That's his, like, cover... Yeah, whatever. So. He's, a, he's a bounty hunter. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I really, I just remember. I've Django is a very rewatchable movie. Um, yeah, for sure. I think I've probably seen it three times now. I've seen it a couple times. Yeah, a little. Uh, some of the stuff at Candyland does get a little uncomfortable. Uh, and I know. I mean, it, it is. You mean it's like on the, purpose, like the the brutality, the wrestling, and yeah. all that. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it is not an easy watch. The some of those scenes, 
But that's to set up the payoff later. So yeah. I, I get that. But um, again, I feel like Django's a little long. Uh, that's probably my only complaint. Yeah, like, yeah, I just didn't know. Yeah, uh, that's a concise, fair way to say it for me, I think. Number six on our list is Jackie Brown. Yeah, that's where I had it. I think I had it fifth, or yeah, I think I had it fifth. So we both just rewatched this movie because we both felt like we needed to give I it its due. Saw it once in like two thousand, two thousand one. So it had been a while. Uh, really, really fun little it's, little mystery. Kind of, kind of. Kind of a heist. It is a heist movie. It's a heist movie, but you don't know what the heist is. You don't know the the goal of the heist until the last ten minutes of the film. Yeah. I think it's one of his most interesting movies as far as, like, breaking from what he normally does. It's uh, interesting and, because it's his third movie. Right, yeah. <laughs> he would kind of go back or, or or find, like, a mashup of everything. Like, right. Like, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and, and Jackie Brown later, but... Yeah, this movie I feel like is is, uh, it, I don't know you. I wouldn't call it like unstylistic. It's still very stylistic. The movie, it's still got a lot of that. Tarant- it's got a lot of the Tarantino like downtime dialogue. Oh my god, dude! The so much of it. First scene with Sam Jackson and Robert De Niro where they're watching the gun commercials. Yeah, that is just like quintessential. Quentin. Quentin Central. <laughs> yeah. Quentin. Central. I was trying to make a, a portmanteau work. Yeah, no, man, it was. Uh, you one thing I realized watching it, I was like, "Why is this movie called Jackie Brown?" And then you realize with the end, like she's the player, she's the main player. This is her story. Yeah, you don't you don't really know that though until right. the very end of the movie. You don't really, you, yeah. I you start getting the feeling maybe like middle midway, but like you're right. It's it is it is Jackie Brown's story, and right. she is. Uh, comes away kind of being one of my favorite Tarantino like protagonist yeah uh you definitely have a couple that's protagonist which is interesting that's rare for Tarantino I feel like and uh Pam Greer plays Jackie Brown Robert Forster plays Max Jerry mm-hmm. and they're both fantastic in this movie I really like this movie also because it is sweeter than some of his other movies I feel like so I have a question about about Jackie Brown were you just from saying it's sweeter during the coffee scene, which is my favorite scene in the movie, when Max Jerry goes to get his gun back from Jackie. Then when she plays the Delphonics yeah. for him? Yeah. It's a great song choice there. And and I like that Max, who is definitely old enough to have lived through the 70s, is just like... Gives a shit about her. He's like, <laughs> what band is this? I like this song. Yeah. He likes the song because she's playing it for him. That's, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, man, they go through some awkward, like... Like first date talk though there, and it was just like, she was like my butt's bigger, and he's like that's fine. Yeah, it's like oh man, it's it's rough. What are you gonna ask? Do you think that's the real Jackie? Because I was watching it and I was like, I don't know what which Jackie is the real Jackie. I don't know. I don't think you're supposed to know at the time, but I think I, I think it is. Okay, I think Max is like the one person she feels like she can just be herself because. I don't know. He he's the one person that doesn't look at her like like uh she can further my career or 
I have to eliminate her. Like yeah, she just wants to take her to the Hilton by the airport and have a cocktail with her. Yeah, <laughs> so he, like, you know, considering her story in the movie, which is she's just, like, a, she's a flight attendant. She needs a... So fucked, she, fucked up pretty bad like when she was young. And she already lives a pretty solitary life, just, like, flying millions of miles. Yeah. And her only contacts in the movie, other than him, uh, once she meets him, are... Uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character. The main antagonist. Who is, you know, clearly willing, as we learned early in the movie, willing to just kill anybody who possesses... He goes to kill Jackie. I don't think right. there was any question, but right. that was what he was there for. And uh, who she, I guess, smuggles for? Is that what she does for him? She, uh, we she don't picks know. up money that She brings his. money back from Cabo. Yeah. Um, but I don't think... I don't think she runs drugs down for him. Okay. Because he doesn't sell drugs. He sells guns. Guns. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's why Max Sherry, yeah, that's because Max Sherry makes the comment when Samuel Jackson's like, what do you think I do? And he says like, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, he says, uh, I'd say drugs, but the money's coming the wrong way. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then the only other contact she has with the police, and they're just using her to get to Sam Jackson. Yeah, do you, are we supposed to think that Michael Keaton planted the blow on her? Because I definitely do. Yeah, I thought so at one point, but then later in the movie she says that was um, uh, Bridget uh, Bridget Fonda's characters. Uh, Mel. Mel. Yeah. Mel's blow, I think she says at one point. So I was unclear on that. Like she was just bringing it back for some... I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Weird. Again, that might have been something I just missed. I watched the movie at like one o'clock in the morning. Yeah, me so. too. Um, but I, uh, I don't know. I think that's why that's why she's comes off as uh, authentic with Max to me, is because this is the first person. He's the only person in the movie who's not using her or attempting to use right. her. Yeah, sure. And the only person, presumably, in her life. Yeah. And so I think she just loves that little bit of personal connection. And so I think I like those scenes even more, thinking of them that way. Sure. I, I can jump on board with that. Uh, would you uh, would you letterbox it? I didn't yet. I would probably go four and a half. On yeah, this movie. I haven't either, but I think I will go four and a half as well. All right, so after Jackie Brown, we get to... The movie where we had the the largest split. Oh, fun! And it is half of the whole bloody affair. Kill Bill two. Oh wow, two nice. Yeah. I had it low, much lower. You had it very high. I had it about number two, and I think I had it at number seven. Oh maybe? wow, yeah, yeah, seven. That's crazy. Even yeah. though I really like that movie. Yeah, no, I know. It's just it's fun. Yeah. I guess we had to have one big jump somewhere, probably. Yeah, I think, uh, sorry, I was not ready to talk about Volume 2 yet. I know, I know. Um, Volume 2, if I'm rating them differently, is a five-star film for me, and I don't think one is. Um, I think the villains are better in 2, that's part of it. The The two main members of the, the assassin squad that we deal with in... Two. We get Bud in two? We get them both in one, but yeah, you mainly get Bud in two, and you get a lot more Daryl Hannah in, right. in two. That's um, the scene where she crosses them off of the list. Th- those are in two. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The buried alive. You barely see Daryl Hannah. Actually, I'm not sure you see Bud in one. Well, I think you do with the wedding. In the, like, yes. flashbacks or whatever. 
Um, and I think the scene with her and Bill is just one of the best pieces of work Tarantino's ever done. The finale. Yeah, it's uh, it is an interesting movie. Uh, and also, you've got also is is that also the uh, the one that has the extended flashback to yeah, uh, the cruel tutelage of what's his name? Yeah, Mister tosses his beard. Yeah, uh, shit, I can't remember his name now. Yeah, gives her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Teaches her the the little punchy, punchy yeah, movie. The guy rips out Daryl Hannah's eyeball at some point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's uh, it's a really good movie. It's it was hard for me to place it. I love all these movies, right? Um, but uh, what do you like most about two? Other, uh, I mean, I think it's got the best acting, maybe not the best action out of the two. Um. I think Michael Max is brilliant in his very small role. One of the best trailers I've ever seen for a movie ever. Yeah. Because you get Bud in the trailer being like, that girl deserves her revengeance. And you're, or her vengeance. Yeah. And you're like, oh, is he going to be a good guy? And in the movie, he says, that girl deserves her vengeance and I deserve to live or whatever. Like, yeah. pretty much like, but fuck her. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then like, that's the thing that kills kiddo. Or... Where she almost meets her demise is him just sitting in a fucking door with a shotgun pointing at it. You know? Yeah, you get the flashback while she's buried. Because it goes all the way up to her, him teaching her the the little punch thing that she uses to escape. Which is a really cool shot. Which movie is the hospital flashback? Two, also? Pussy Wagon? No, that's one. That's one? Yeah. Okay. That's I can't remember. Yeah, that's one. That's the only thing I couldn't place on it. It's been a long time since I've seen those movies. Yeah. I, I think I watched them so hard and watched them so much Yeah, for like five years after they came out that I feel like I don't need to see them again. I watched them in one sitting within three or four years, just back to back. Like I, one long film. Yeah. And they were, they were fucking amazing. I had them both on DVD and just wore those things out. Yeah. Yeah. So good. But yeah, no, I'd love to. Um, I think the the thing that vaults it so high for me is the 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 last half hour though, is just so good, um, and just getting this full wrapping up the story of what Tarantino's best characters, best written characters, I think, in Beatrix Kiddo. Yeah, she's really interesting. Yeah, it's a great story. Um, it is. The I think it's one of his most interesting, maybe one of his best, like big stories. Right. Alright. <laughs> Getting down to the nitty gritty. What is this? Number five? Are we in the top five? One, we're at number four, I think. Yeah, we're at number four. Yeah, we've already done five. Alright. Alright, so. Razor Thin. On the next three choices. Okay, nice. Razor thin margins. But number four on our list is Kill Bill 1. Nice. So I had this at five. Yeah, and I had it at two. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So we both picked Kill Bill movie as our number two Quentin Tarantino movie. Uh, I just adore Kill Bill 1. And I think it's I think it's because it is probably because there's less going on. Like, it has... Kill Bill 2 gets more accomplished. And I think that's maybe why I like Kill Bill 1 more. Is because there's just... There's the fight with Vernita at the beginning. 
The hospital scene. The hospital. Although I don't really love the hospital that much. Actually, it's just so icky. Um, <laughs> too. But the the uh, flashback, her going to get the sword from Hattori Hanzo. Yeah, is a fantastic scene. It and is. then everything in Asia is fantastic. Everything with the crazy eighty eight. Yeah, is amazing. Uh, they do an incredible job with the backstory of Lucy Liu's character in that. Oh, that's, is that's so another good. reason I love that yeah. movie. It's got the the little anime interlude right yeah, there. Yeah, so good. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, and also like. Not just for Tarantino, one of the greatest fight scenes ever on film for me. Is it the Crazy 88s? Yes. Yeah. It's yeah. just... It's also, like, aware of how violent it is. Like, it's just... There's that scene where oh, it's just, nothing. like, like blood spurting and yeah. all the... You just hear moaning. It's just like... <laughs> and yeah. it's very... It's and a good funny. Little, a good little big bad fight with Lucy Liu, too. And, yeah. a, and a horrific, cool ending and that a, fight. Yeah. Also, uh, one of my favorite cliffhangers to a movie ever is the way that Kill Bill ends, which is, does she know her daughter's still alive? You hear Bill's voice for the first time, and uh, he's, right. or, well, not for the first time, you hear it a little bit yeah. in, the, in the wedding flashbacks, right. but you hear him talking to, uh, you hear him for the first time in the present, talking to Sophie, I believe is her name, she's yeah. in the, she's at the hospital, she's who... Beatrix just kicks down the hill. Yeah. Uh, and uh, when he says, you know, is she aware her daughter's still alive? And then, bam, directed by Quentin Tarantino just immediately. Yeah. I was. I remember being in the theaters and being like, oh, shit. <laughs> yes. I, I understand why this is called part one. <laughs> Deserved. Yeah. Nice. So, that's a... Uh, yeah, that's a fantastic uh, intro to that story. For sure. Mm-hmm. The uh, also I like how it 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 sort of drops the hints for the future because she's Vernita's not the first one she actually kills in the chronology, right? So there's only one way to know that. So Lucy Lou's first to go, and the only reason you know that is because when she crosses off, because she kills Vernita first in the film. That's the first one you, we see. You see her kill, yeah. And you see her cross her name off, mm-hmm. and I keep calling her Lucy Liu. I, uh, Ishii, Rin, Rin Ishii, something Rin Ishii. She's already crossed off right. on the list. That's okay. the only way you know. There's a couple of, like, is it a fuck-up, is it not by Tarantino? Because she pulls up in the... In the pussy wagon. Right. So it's like, did she break out of the hospital, go park the pussy wagon at the airport, fly to Asia, kill her, come back, get the pussy wagon, go back? Which is the only explanation. Or she just stashed the pussy wagon somewhere. Yeah. But I've asked that, I'm a, me and Brent are both trivia hosts, and I've asked that before, who she kills first chronologically. Because there is a definable answer. This is the number list. It just doesn't fit the narrative quite as well. Right. I've never, cons- I've never thought about the... The, the pussy, wag- what she does with the pussy wagon? Right. <laughs> yeah. Alright, I have to redo my rankings. <laughs> Every, everything has changed. <laughs> Wait, Django's now number one? <laughs> it's really, it got really no, confusing. It's weird. Uh, Alright, number three. The number three Quentin Tarantino movie is... Oh no. Uh, I didn't realize, using our tiebreaker, that the tiebreaker is also a tie. <laughs> between... Oh nice! These two movies. So, I'm going to go with whichever one had the highest placement on either of our lists. And that is going to be 
the same placement on each of our lists for each say, one. So we're still tied. We are still tied. Um, uh, what? I don't know what to do. We can call David. <laughs> Wait. You think David's up? No. It's 11.30? No way. No way. No. Sorry, David. If you were up, we apologize. We do have Cassandra. I think I know the two movies. I don't even know how she'll respond. Alright. So, we are going to... We're not going to bring her on air. That will destroy her. Alright. This is it's a live experiment. She's probably going to have her headphones on wherever she All is. Right. Feel free... Alright, tell the listeners what the two movies are. And then I'm going to come in and, right. and tell, uh, right. tell you guys... The two movies that we are deciding from, as I don't know why we sent Brent to go find my wife to ask her this question in my house, and not me. But we're to, we're deciding between Reservoir Dogs and Inglorious Bastards, which I'll go ahead and tell you I had Inglorious Bastards number four overall, and Reservoir Dogs three overall. And it sounds like Brent had the same order. Little does Brent know, the thing about Cassandra is when you ask her a question, she has to know every detail of why she's being asked that question. So she's currently probably telling Brent, well, Glorious Bastards is this good because of this and this and this. And Reservoir Dogs, though, is really good. It's really good. A great, great soundtrack. You don't have the soundtrack that, that Reservoir Dogs has in Glorious Bastards. Man, Brent is really leaving me hanging here. Okay, side note for everybody listening right now. I've thought about many, many times when our schedules suck of trying to do a podcast solo. I'll just come in here and record a podcast solo. This 30 seconds has made me realize that is a fucking horrible <laughs> idea. <laughs> and we're back! Uh, I told them they're picking between Inglorious Bastards and Reservoir Dogs, which yes. I assume we both had at four and three. We had them at... In the uh, same order? We had them, no, we ha- uh... You had Reservoir Dogs at four then, and Inglorious at three. I had Reservoir Dogs fourth, you had them third. I had Inglorious Bastards third, you had it fourth. Okay. So, yeah, three and four. And cast our tiebreaker, fun! And so, Letterboxd users uh, <laughs> rate them both 4.2 stars out of five. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah... I did lie to her and say that uh, she would not be publicly listed as the tiebreaker. But the number three movie that me and TJ alone have decided is number three is Inglorious Bastards. Ah, yeah. It's the number three Tarantino movie. Yeah, um, man, I feel like we could not have two more separate movies, like different films too, though. Like, think about how much music is, and we'll talk about this in the next podcast, how important music is in Tarantino films mm-hmm. and how little it has to do with Inglorious Bastards as a whole. Like, it's just not that important. It's got some fantastic scenes with great songs in it. I think uh, the David Bowie uh, song that's playing during the, uh, like, getting ready to set the theater on fire scene is really good. But there's not, like, 12 of them like there is in every other movie. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, if I ever, so, I mean, at this point, it's these are all five-star movies now for me. Yeah, we're well into that range. Yeah. If I had to if I had to pick a reason why it may not be number two, I think it's 
I think the only thing for me that it was always a little weird is this is, I think, Tarantino's uh, maybe most, like, fragmented movie. Does totally. that make sense? Like A hundred percent. And it's not a completely bad thing. It's just that other movies... Pulp Fiction is also super fragmented, and yet it blends better for me. Here's the thing. I've got a lead in Pulp Fiction. Like, we, we talk about bitching about sporting and best lead. Yeah. I've, we, I've got uh, John Travolta. I've got maybe Uma Thurman. I have no lead actor or actress in Glorious Masters. The closest it comes to is Christoph Waltz. Oh, I and, feel like it's Brad Pitt. No, I don't think it's Brad Pitt. No. I don't think he's in it enough. Well, Inglourious Bastards to me is a collection of really great scenes that, like I said, don't perfectly flow from one to another, but there's still a bunch of really great scenes. Yeah. I mean, the uh, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm going to end up talking over myself, I think, but uh, as good as the final scene in Kill Bill Volume 2, the uh, bar scene in Inglourious Bastards is one of, my favorite Tarantino moments. Yes, it is my... I gave some thought to this, wasting time because we weren't planning on talking about favorite scenes. Right. <laughs> but I did give time to, to uh, trying to think of what my favorite scene was from any Tarantino movie, and it is the bar scene from Bastards. Oh, uh, is your number one? You yeah. It's so good, man. <laughs> it's just a fucking perfect scene. Uh, who the, I don't know who that actor is who plays the Nazi. He's fantastic at that scene, though. That is a masterclass in building tension. In a, the way it's shot, the way it sounds, the way the, the actors are all just perfect. Top notch, yeah. I mean, Michael Fassbender. Holy shit. Just incredible yeah. in that scene. And then what's crazy is uh, Bastards might also have another top five scene in the uh, scene with just Christoph Waltz and Melanie Laurent in the cabin at the beginning. The intro, yeah. Yeah, where she's got the family hidden under the... Under the stairs or under the uh, floorboards, yeah, and uh, that is just another masterclass intention. And he does it again with that payoff, which is what makes those scenes so good too. In the uh, restaurant when she sees her, oh yeah, I mean it's horrifying mm-hmm. when she sees him. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, that movie is is it was so out of left field. Uh, if you think about what Tarantino had done up to that point, especially. Um, I think Inglourious Bastards, when it came out, I was finally, I'd give it up on, okay, this guy isn't making Pulp Fiction every time. Right. Because Jackie Brown felt a little like, like, he's trying to recapture that. At least, yeah, the chit-chat of Pulp Fiction. Right. And then, uh, so Jackie Brown really didn't, and then Kill Bill was like, okay, this is him being obsessed with samurai, you know, yeah. movies. Combining, like, all his favorite Kung, Kung old Fu genres. Yeah. Because it was, like, Kung Fu plus, like, exploitation a little right. bit. Plus a bunch of other stuff. Uh, and then he did Death Proof, which felt like he's just doing his thing with his buddy, Robert mm-hmm. Rodriguez. Uh, and he, you know, Kurt Russell, car movie. I can make it in 60 minutes, it'll be fine. But I feel like when Inglourious Bastards came out, you were just like, oh, I've, for some reason, I've made him out to be this guy. Trying to recreate Pulp Fiction. This, He's not trying to do that. He just wants to make another fucking movie. This is the start of his, like, also, like... Uh, this is the first movie where there's just, like... That's some, like, insane shootout or action scene at the end of the movie. Uh, right. Like, ridiculous. I, I loved the rewriting of history in that movie. Yeah. I thought it was fucking brilliant. 
yeah, and fun, and a great way just to kind of be like fuck you to anybody who might have been watching the movie up until that point, pointing out historical inaccuracies. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I obviously will not give anything away, but I was very curious to see how he would handle history in, in injecting in Hollywood once again, like injecting characters into a a notable historical moment. Right. So. Uh, it was uh, there was one casting choice that he wanted in Glorious Masters that didn't pan out and it was for the Bear Jew which ended up getting played by his director buddy Eli Roth who was merely on set because he shot the movie within a movie (laughs) Eli Roth did yeah Um, but do you know who Quentin Tarantino wanted as Bear Jew it's weird Adam Sandler whoa (laughs) I'm down for that. Yeah, that yeah. When I, when I, when I, but as soon as I heard that the first time, which is right around when the movie came out, I was it's like, "That seems weird." But yeah, yeah, I'm on board. Wow. Yeah, that was his first choice. <laughs> um, the, the other, the weird thing about an in, in, uh, intolerable cruelty. <laughs> God, is it's that it's not even, two. It's not even directed <laughs> by him. The other weird thing about Glorious Masters is that, like, I feel like my least favorite part of the movie was the thing I thought was going to be my my favorite part when I saw trailers, which is Brad Pitt and the gang. Yeah, no, it was great in the first scene. Um, but then, I mean, there's not a lot to do. I really thought the movie was going to be about them, like, roving through Europe. Like, they're the bastards. Yeah. yeah. But, they're, yeah, I don't know. He, Pitt's... Absent from a lot of the movie, like you said. Yeah, he's he's just super memorable when he's in. And he has the I love the scene with him negotiating with uh, Waltz at the end. Oh god, it's so good. You'll be hung. Yeah, I'll get chewed out. (laughs) Been chewed out before. (laughs) Love that shit, man. Uh, That is also a really strange. I mean, that is a that is a bold choice to get Brad Pitt to come do Tennessee accent. Yeah. To that extent. It works. Man. And it works. <laughs> it works. I, I probably, the first time I watched that movie, probably missed three or four minutes of dialogue because we were at Midtown Arts watching it. And the the Buongiorno line had the entire crowd laughing for like five minutes. And they couldn't stop laughing. I couldn't stop laughing. Oh, that is one of the funniest moments Tarantino's ever yeah. filmed. Because you've got the two guys who have he's, clearly he's, practiced their he, Italian. He's third best. Brad Pitt's third best. I said I was third best. Yeah. Buongiorno. 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 <laughs> he just like doesn't speak. I, th- uh, I thought you said you spoke Italian. That's a lot. I thought you said you spoke Italian. I said I was third best. <laughs> yeah. Glorious yeah. Bastards is a five star movie. It's uh, super rewatchable for me. Very rewatchable. Um, super fun. Fun flick. All right. Well, the number two movie in Quentin Tarantino's oeuvre. <laughs> Uh, as determined solely by me and TJ that this is number two. No outsider help required. Uh, I just uh, left TJ alone to delve into madness on his own earlier, and that was uh, I just pretended to go talk to someone else. No, uh, it is Reservoir Dogs. Oh, man. So iconic. And so much about it is iconic. Yeah. I think, I think so for me, I ranked it fourth only... I feel like Reservoir Dogs has slipped for me in recent years. Like, it, this used to be a clear number two I think it me. did, and then I think I got out of that. I think I watched it as a, like, 17, 18-year-old and was like, this is the coolest cool movie. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Right. Um, and then I got a little older, and I was like, oh, this is like Boondock Saints, but better. Way better. Right. But it's in that realm. Uh, and then now I've watched it again in the past two years. I was like, nope, this is fucking a fantastic film. It is good. I, uh, again, that's another DVD I had very early on in just my... wear it up. Yeah, and just would, would watch that all the time. You got a, a favorite scene? Since we didn't, we're not doing that in the next podcast. Do I have a favorite scene? It's, uh... I really don't. It's, I think that the ear scene is a little overrated, by some people, I think. But, I, think I think the ear scene's overrated. I think Michael Madsen leading up to the ear scene is insanely good. Yes, up to the ear moment. Yes. Um, and I, and I say overrated only because people say that's like the hands down great moment of the movie. When I think that the movie has a lot of great moments, some possibly that I like even more than that. Yeah, uh, I really like everything between Mister Orange and Mister Brown. What is Harvey Cattell? White. White. Mr. White. Yeah. Mr. Orange and Mr. White. I love their dynamic in that movie. So my favorite scene is him learning the joke on the roof with his cop buddy. Yeah. Um, Tim Roth wins this movie for me. Yes. He's fan-fucking-tastic. He's amazing. Um, and Harvey Cattell and Steve Buscemi and whoever the guy who plays Marvin is so good. I wonder if Tarantino hated somebody named Marvin. <laughs> Oh, Marvin died in Pulp Fiction too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Bushimi's great. Uh, Chris Penn is great. The the insular moments once they get into the hideout are so fucking good. Uh, not that the bank heist isn't shot really well, and the scene in the diner is fucking iconic. Yeah, they're talking about leaving tips. Steve Bushimi, fucking tip. Yeah, that's fucking brilliant writing, man. I mean, it's just ridiculous mm-hmm. writing. Um, it also establishes that Tarantino like musical motif with the you know uh, little green bag at the start of that movie. Yeah, that is the moment when so many uh, future filmmakers just started you know jizzing all over themselves at that when that moment happened. And it shows them slow walking, which now it seems really cliched, but it was cool then. It man. was really cool in 1992. Yeah, but yeah, this is the movie that I think. Is probably the most of all the Tarantino. Even though I think Pulp Fiction is probably the, is easily his most famous movie, but I think Reservoir Dogs is the one that more filmmakers have tried to imitate over the years. Oh sure, I mean to accomplish what he accomplished with a setting you could probably find for free. You know, mm-hmm. I mean that warehouse. You knew every inch of that warehouse. Thirty minutes into the movie, and you knew where everybody was and what was going on. Did people know the term Mexican standoff before Reservoir Dogs? People out? like most common folk? Absolutely not. I yeah. wouldn't say. It's got, I mean, there's like scenes in the office that are purely ripping off oh, Reservoir yeah. Dogs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a great Mexican standoff at the end of that. And then also, I love the, the maybe the most iconic shot of the movie is the, uh, the image of is it uh, White standing up, aiming the gun at Orange, and Orange on the ground aiming the gun back? Yeah, you know what I mean. That where they're it's that moment of of Mister White not knowing if he can trust him or not, or realizing he can't really, yeah. but not being able to bring himself. Yeah, because he's taking the kid under his wing the whole yeah. movie. That's why that movie works so well. Is their relationship to me? 
Yeah. I think that's uh It is a great movie. It's on all your movie lists for a reason. Yeah. For sure. Now, for our most controversial choice. <laughs> our favorite Quentin Tarantino movie. We both picked the same movie. It's the only thing we had in the same spot for both of us. Our favorite Quentin Tarantino movie is Pulp Fiction. What? <laughs> um, I mean, I think this... I think Pulp Fiction is responsible for much more important things than this, but I think it's responsible for our generation wanting to have a podcast like this. You know what I mean? I think I can point to it more than any other movie and be like, it's the movie that when I was 16 I watched and I was like, oh, I like I like films. You know what I mean? I like good movies. Um, I can like this and it's good. And it's... Uh, I've... I haven't rewatched it in so long because I watched it so many fucking times when I was a teenager and in my twenties that I would be bored watching it now because I've probably seen the movie. I mean, well over a hundred times when I moved to college and didn't have cable and had it on DVD and me and my roommates would just watch it over and over and over and over again. And we could recite all the dialogue and we knew every moment and every turn uh, the movie is just fucking fantastic, chock full of amazing characters, and uh, what he does with them is just so cool and fun, and one of the best cold opens in film history, I think. Oh, for sure, yeah. It's uh, I was trying to just look at the cast. Is who's the SNL alum that's in this movie? Julia Sweeney. Yeah, Julia Sweeney. Yeah, she gets shot by. Um, Thing rams. Well, I've ruined my own joke. My own joke was just going to be like, well, I always start movie ranking lists by just seeing which movies have Julia Sweeney. Yeah. And start there. She, so, doesn't, she doesn't get shot. She's helping somebody who got shot. She's out there in the street shootout there with Thing Rams. And uh, Bruce Willis. No, Julia Sweeney's at the, they go to see her, right? Somewhere, it's like a junkyard place. That's, you're... Because you're... Kathy Griffin is at the That the is street. Kathy Griffin. Kathy Griffin is in the street. Runs out and she's like, are you okay, mister? And then they probably had to call cut before Julie Kathy Sweeney Griffin. Julie plays Rochelle then? Is that right? Yeah, it's like after. It's, it's, it's the guy the, 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 the wolf. The wolf is dating. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Julie Sweeney. That's the, it's the say, one, say, goodbye, say goodbye Rochelle, goodbye Rochelle. Yeah, that it's line. the one yeah. scene in the movie I can never remember. It's just that scene. I don't the, know why. The scene after the cleanup? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, now that we've hit the highlight of the movie, Julia Sweeney's <laughs> forgettable scene for Brent. Uh, <laughs> no, that's a, yeah. What can we say about Pulp Fiction that people haven't said a billion times? Is there anything? No. I mean, you can talk about like how the eighth worst performance is like Eric Stoltz and he's really fucking good. Yeah. Or, you know, the, I mean, you could, we could talk for an hour about the music in this movie. I feel like, um... This movie had, I mean, it is just... You sound like Stefan. This movie's got everything. This movie has everything. <laughs> uh, although at the time, it probably, describing this movie would have been like listening to Stefan pitch movies. Like, yeah, right. It's got long-haired John Travolta. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah. That's, Jerry Curl, Sam Jackson. Yeah. I, I mean, think about the way, not only from imitations to this movie, but like... The way it relaunched the Travolta renaissance of the 90s. He was done, man. 
was the all you done in I think the only Urban movie Cowboy. the only movie probably since like 1980 1981 probably since Urban Cowboy that I was even aware of was uh, the baby talking movie what's that uh, look who's talking oh sure yeah <laughs> look who's talking uh, and he's again I was just like mildly aware he was even in that and so I started hearing I remember I was 10 when Pulp Fiction came out and I can remember hearing about it at Oscar time. Obviously, my mom was not interested in letting me watch Pulp Fiction as a 10-year-old. But sure. I would still follow... That's like around the time I got into the Oscars. I started following the Oscars. Yeah. Um, it started the previous year when I really wanted The Fugitive to win everything, mostly. That's when you first started getting let down by the yeah. Oscars. And so, uh, <laughs> the... Uh, I was very aware of Pulp Fiction, and I kept seeing like all these great reviews for it, and I just kept thinking, John Travolta? A movie with John Travolta? is Yeah. So like that's the sort of, I think, context casting John Travolta had back then, and for him to make just such an iconic work with it, it's, it's uh, an, an amazing casting choice. So, just a few of the accolades this movie has garnered over the years. Uh, it's number... It was 95 on the original, 94 on the redo of AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movies. So, top 100 film of all, American film of all time. Which, also, by the way, they have extreme recency, like, anti-recency bias. Yeah, on I think those the only movies from the 90s were, like, Fargo, Titanic, and this. And the Titanic got taken off. Yeah, so, like, for it to even place is huge. Also, on 100 Years, 100 Laughs, it got nominated, didn't make it, but uh, it... Was uh, Vincent Vega and Jules Winfield were 100 years, 100 villains when that list came out. Both of them as one was on there. As one hero or villain? Villain. Yeah, see, I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't know either. Um, I think Bruce Willis is the hero. If there's a hero of the movie, I think it's Bruce Willis. Yeah, he's the... I mean, the yeah. best person. Right. Uh, and then it only won for best uh, original screenplay, which... Uh, and that's in 1994, the year of fucking everything. Mm-hmm. Um, nominated for Best Actor, Travolta, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Editing, Sporting Actor for Jackson, Sporting Actor for Thurman. Um, I didn't even want to look it up because I was worried that it didn't win screenplay and Forrest Gump won screenplay, and that would have just uh, was, devastated me. That was ter- because Tarantino's second Oscar was uh, Django. Wow. So he's never he's never taken director. No, he's got two screenplay noms. He had not won. His films had not won anything else until Christoph Waltz. So his films have four wins. Two for Christoph Waltz and two for Tarantino writing. Wow. You know, he, I don't know. He'll probably get... Well, he's also... I don't know. He may never get that career achievement Oscar because he... He he's, claims he's directing one more movie and he's done. Right. And so... We'll see. Yeah. I don't know. He's got some weird people that don't like him, too. I mean, there's that shit with Uma Thurman that came out, which I think is real and was talked about. Mm-hmm. That sounded fucked up. But, like, uh, I know Spike Lee and Sam Jackson got, like, into it um, about Django and the use of the N-word. Um, well, no, not in Django, in Jackie Brown. I'm sorry. The use of... It was... The word had... That movie, when it came out, had that word used more than any other film. It's like 67 times or something. Jackie Brown? Yeah. Oh, wow. I think it's because Sam Jackson says it over and over and over and over again. Starts every sentence with that word. Yeah. And ends every sentence with that word. Yeah. Spike Lee went to uh, Harvey Weinstein and was like, you need to do something about this movie. 
And Sam Jackson's response was, you know, we're making a movie about these people. Like, right? why do you want me to talk fake? Like, well, this is how these people, like, are you saying this is how these people talk? And Spike Lee was like, this looks bad for black people. And Sam Jackson was like, it's not about black people. It's about an arms dealer. Right. You know? Well, it's really disappointing. I, I really think that if anyone would come through and save the day, it would be Harvey Weinstein. But... Yeah. Way to let us down for once, Harv. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you just like, Spike Lee wrote a, went in to talk to Harvey Weinstein, and like, I know the rest of that story, and it's that Spike Lee was probably right <laughs> with whatever he said. Yeah. But, no, I think uh, one reason, because Harvey Weinstein was going to listen to Spike Lee, because that's one thing you don't want is Spike Lee talking about your, talking shit about your movie, and, but Sam Jackson pretty much went to Spike and was like, lay the fuck off. Because um, that the uh, Sam Jackson also like uh, I was watching the interviews today prepping for the podcast and there was an interview with Sam Jackson when Jackie Brown came out and uh, or not when Jackie Brown came out it was an interview with Sam Jackson on one of those Hollywood Reporter roundtables I watch yeah and they asked him his favorite role of all time and it was Odell and Jackie Brown oh cool he gets a lot to do yeah he also gets that sweet really <laughs> tiny goatee. Yeah, he also gets to sit on a couch with Robert De Niro. It's not a goatee. What is that called? What would that be called? Just that one like little. I don't know. The little. I don't think he's got a wisp. I would be like, that looks like that thing that Sam Jackson had. <laughs> Bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he said he liked just hanging out with Robert De Niro all the time. I think he just liked the role a lot. There's a, there a lot to do for him, that character in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he was, you know. I would be interested to see if my rankings change like five years from now just because like, like yeah, I, know, I know Jackie Brown is gr- grows on me every time I watch it. Yeah. And it's a movie that I just like more and more. It probably was number eight on my list like a two years ago, and it's up to oh, it was six now. I think. It was last on my list before I watched it. I mean, yeah, but, but yeah. What do you think? Uh, is there any like big thoughts on Tarantino on his like whole body of work? Because we there aren't many directors we get to just both know that we've seen everything. No, I think. Um, so, I'll use this as a segue, because that's what good podcasters do. Talk about segues. Yeah. Next podcast, which will be up Thursday, we're going to, me and Brent are doing our personal own, not one set, each of our top five musical moments in Tarantino films, and each of our top five performances, not like a scene, but a performance by an actor or actress in Tarantino films. And I think those two things are huge in what Tarantino's is yeah. doing. I think he's obviously fantastic with music. I don't know anybody that would... I would put higher than him uh, in that regard. Um, even with not outside of pop music, well, his scores are fucking incredible, and his use of scores from other films and his films are incredible. He does a great job with that. And kind when of he shit. needs an original one, he goes and gets Sergio or uh, what? What? Who's uh, Marconi? Yeah, no, uh, not Marconi. The guy who invented radio. <laughs> That's how good Tarantino is. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking Mark Cody, then I was like, Falcone, cin- wait, that's the bad guy from Batman. His cinematographer? <laughs> Thomas Edison. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the other thing I think he's great at, and I think people f- might not realize, because I think they think Tarantino can just go get whoever he wants to be in his movies, but uh, he gets badass performances out of tons of actors and actresses. Who is it? It's not Mario Batali. <laughs> that's somebody else. That's a chef. <laughs> Who is that guy? Uh, David, stop screaming. We'll get did, there. He did Hateful Eight. 
painful. Ennio Morricone yeah. didn't even. I said get Marconi. There. I was close. Some, for some reason, staring at a picture of Ellen DeGeneres on my Wikipedia app, <laughs> and it was like, oh, it's Ennio Morricone. Thank you, Ellen. Um, but I think you get like Travolta, who's not really a great actor. I no, don't think he's not. got a fantastic performance out of him. He does have Sam Jackson in every movie, so that helps. But uh, Uma Thurman, I mean, I've seen her in other movies. She's she's a good actress, but she's better when she's working with Quentin. Yeah. Um, and Tim Roth, Harvey Cattell. I mean, these are like fucking Michael Madsen. Is he good at anything that's not Tarantino? I don't know. Yeah, I don't like. Uh, and I think he probably got what, when DiCaprio's done acting, what I might call his best performance ever. Came at the helm of Tarantino, um, so I I think when you're when you're looking at Tarantino's body of work, I think those are the two things that really stand out: music and just able to get amazing performances by people. A like we don't know the Nazi in the bar scene in Glorious Bastards. I don't know who the fuck that guy is. I do think the music is probably now that I think about it, the most copied aspect of Tarantino. That that and the the witty banter. I think those are the two things that have probably been most copied over the years, yeah. over the last quarter century, which is just like, let's think, like, let's find an old 70s song and that's like poppy and bouncy and let's have somebody murder somebody while they're listening to it. Like, that's yeah. from Reservoir Dogs and on. He's sort of set that template for a lot of filmmakers. Yeah, and he does it. He, he did it in Jackie Brown. He did it in Pulp Fiction. You know. Yeah, it, it happens, but he ain't stopped. No, I really. <laughs> There's some things you can just always rely on Tarantino for. He ain't going to disappoint you. Uh, I also think another thing that we can't really rank, although we just did. Uh, I think he's one of the best screenwriters of of his generation for yeah. sure. Um, much better screenwriter than a director, and he's a badass director. He writes really good dialogue. It's some of the most realistic dialogue. Yeah. You'll come across, I think. It was realistic sounds weird because he's writing about like gangsters that probably don't exist in the way that he right. thinks they do, but it feels real. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Well Yeah, no, he's a he's an icon. He's uh deserves his praise even if he does do fucked up shit sometimes. <laughs> well, everybody seems to, uh, critics, everybody fans seem to like the new movie too, so yeah, it's getting it's, fantastic reviews. As far as I've only looked at like the numbers, I haven't read anything. But. Yeah, I've, uh, I think it's eighty five on Metacritic. Yeah, ninety three on Rotten Tomatoes. I think. Yeah, so uh, I do recommend it. It would have, like I think I said, it would have placed fifth on my rankings, and that's just off of I saw it six hours ago. So it's okay. It's hard for me to know quite how I feel about it. Yeah. Uh, how do you feel like it is on the rewatchable? Somewhere in the middle. I don't know. There's an aspect of it that makes me think it might be one of the least rewatchable, but then again, I think there's it's a long movie. It's like two hours and 40 minutes. And there's just so much there that I'm excited to watch it again. Who? Uh, one, one more thing I want to know about it that I think is spoiler-free is uh, who would you say right now wins it? Uh, I would say Leonardo DiCaprio is my favorite performance in the movie. Okay. Is my... Yeah. He's good. He's very good. <laughs> Tarantino does not waste him. Okay. Good. Good to know. Yeah. Doesn't look like it from the trailer. Yeah. But... 
Well, cool. Yeah, well, uh, on Thursday, if you're listening to this on post day, it's Monday. So on Thursday, we'll have uh, Brent and I each having our top five Tarantino music moments and top five Tarantino performances. Not performances by Quentin Tarantino because he is in all of his movies. Well, not all of them. I didn't see him in Jackie Brown. Now that I think about it. I don't think he's... I didn't see him in Jackie Brown. Is he in Kill Bill? Yes. What does he do? He is part of the hospital scene in some way. Uh, he's he's one of the weirdest parts in Django, which is he's, he's on, he does that awful Australian accent. Yeah, it's real weird. It's like, wait, why would you make your movie worse? By, <laughs> by being in it. By being in it. <laughs> he just wanted to do an Australian accent. He'd been working on it. Nobody else is ever going to let him, so... Yeah, uh, is Tom Tim Roth Australian? Is he in uh, Bastards? I don't think he's in Bastards. Unless he's like in the war room or yeah. something. Weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. Although, weirdly, I think the movie where he, he is... He, the, the, the movie where he is the largest part is probably not even a Tarantino movie. It's from Dust Till Dawn. Yeah, I mean, he's... Which he's, he in? he's got a fairly big part in Pulp Fiction for Tarantino movies. And he's really good. <laughs> yeah. As Bonnie's husband. Uh, yeah, and then Reservoir Dogs, he's got a... Mostly at the beginning. Nothing is... If we're rating... He also turns into... He, he dies pretty pretty quick and dust it on. I mean, yeah. almost right when they get there. Yeah. Most of that movie is Harvey Cattell and George Clooney and the kids. Mm-hmm. Well... That was Talkie Talk. This, this is, is Talkie Talk. Talk. You are Talkie Talk. <laughs> and uh, thanks for listening. We will. Uh, you can subscribe, give us a rating, preferably only if it's five stars. Otherwise, it's probably not worth the trouble. And uh, uh, please join us on Facebook at the groups, the face groups, TV, movies, games. Uh, you know where to do. Face and, groups and the tweet poops. And... <laughs> This, yeah. You know where to do. This has uh, been our behemoth uh, Quentin Tarantino podcast. <laughs> That's my Stephen Wright impression. You did for the podcast. That's cool. Behemoth. <laughs> so uh, thanks for listening and take us out, Burifa, and thanks for the intro, Well Walkers. Yep, yep, yep. Bye, bye, bye. Kicking rocks. Down old dusty roads Small town slowpokes Long time ago Kicking out records of all the things that I know All